The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Yes, welcome to our show this afternoon. This is Eileen Fiore sitting in for Mary Woods. And um, I have the pleasure today of speaking with Genevieve, Genevieve Traeger, who is extremely accomplished um, and has a number of um, credentials that support her in her practice of mindfulness, of um, utilizing mindfulness-based stress reduction, um, and how that ties into overall wellness. So, Genevieve, thank you for coming um, to be a part of our conversation today. Um, could I ask you to sort of frame today's hour by really identifying what is mindfulness? It's got a lot of different interpretations throughout our society and throughout um, the health industry. So maybe we could start there. Thanks. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on your show. Um, and I'm really happy to get a chance to talk about mindfulness um, uh, in part because I'm uh, very passionate about it, and um, but also because, you know, it's wonderful that it's become such a popular um, uh, mode. Um, it's it's uh, included in a lot of different therapies. Um, it's really sort of made its way into our pop culture. Um, and as a result, um, a lot of the time, what mindfulness actually is gets... Uh, diluted um, or even uh, sort of misappropriated. Um, and so it's really important to actually define what mindfulness is in terms of as a practice and uh, as something that uh, when you're looking at um, how can this help me or um, we, we tend to refer to a lot of the, <clears throat> excuse me, the research um, there's a lot of evidence now. There's a lot of research that's been done. And the research that's been done is on this very specific practice of mindfulness that comes out of a very old 2,600-year-old Buddhist tradition called Vipassana meditation. So um, using that as the frame and understanding of this as a practice, so um, I guess it's also important to note what it's not. So even though mindfulness is used very effectively in the context of therapy or in a variety of therapies, um, it's not therapy. Um, it's not, it's also not, um, it's not prayer. Um, and it's also not just um, meditation. Um, it is a form of meditation, but oftentimes, um, oftentimes, um, people think that any meditation is mindfulness. We, we conflate the two terms, and it's actually a very 
specific kind of meditation. Um, and of course, there's a lot of other very helpful kinds of meditation and also um, things like prayer or um, uh, affirmations or positive psychology are all extremely helpful. Um, those themselves are not mindfulness practice. Um, another thing that um, is often sort of misunderstood is that it's not just a technique. Um, there are, of course, many techniques involved in um, learning and cultivating the practice. Um, but in the event that um, someone um, is offering, here's a technique, this is mindfulness, um, is a little bit also is a little bit misleading. So, I mean, I can kind of start there. And if you want to um, sort of ask me something that takes us in a particular direction, that's great. Um, or I can uh, try and uh, find my way through and and uh, and talk a little bit more about uh, some of the generalities. Well, I think that um, I'm certainly already learning. So um, if you were to continue with some of the generalities, because I think you've really pointed to a lot of the misconceptions, um, which probably end up being barriers to people being able to see this as a very specific and serious alternative for a variety of health concerns. So please um, continue. Um, well, I'd like to actually ask you um, what what you have heard about mindfulness and what your um, understanding of mindfulness has been, um, and especially in relation to um, the recovery uh, area of um, recovery. Well, that's a um, that opens up an entire um, scope of dialogue because being present in any given moment for folks who are um, in need of recovery, struggling with recovery, just beginning to um, accept some of the complexities of behavior change is probably one of the cornerstones of many of the self-help interventions that folks find extremely helpful. Um, going from a day at a time to sometimes a minute at a time, and as our um, title reflects, an hour at a time. So um, I think that um, when folks are able to identify the need to integrate the moment in time with the mind, the body, the sense of purpose that people in that second are practicing a kind of mindfulness. Now, that's very simplistic, um, but that might be sort of a, a diving board, if you will. Sure. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, so yeah, the, the taking things one, one day at a time, I know, comes out of the uh, recovery um, culture and um, and this very much fits in with that, especially when you start to think in terms of um, moment by moment awareness. Um, one of the most widely known um, definitions uh, of, for mindfulness is um, by John Kabat-Zinn. Rightfully so, he's he's the one that introduced 
this practice to the West um, in the secular format um, of the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program. And his, uh, his uh, definition is paying attention on purpose in the present moment and non-judgmentally to the unfolding of experience moment to moment. Um, and so that's one of the ones that most people have heard. Um, and then, of course, um, sort of in general being present. And, and there is something extremely healing about um, being able to connect in with the moment. And one of the things that's interesting also that uh, a lot of people, when, because oftentimes when we hear, the, when we hear uh, meditation, we kind of feel, we kind of think in terms of uh, that we're going to go out uh, psychically traveling or, you know, it's an out-of-the-body experience um, and that we're spacing out or in some way. And mindfulness is actually really the opposite of that. Um, mindfulness is really considered an in-the-body practice. In order to be present um, in any moment, we have to actually connect with our physical and sense experience. Um, so uh, mindfulness is accessed through the sense doors. And a lot of the training is really teaching people how to, um, uh, learning how to become present in the body. It's, it's really interesting in that um, through my teaching, I really see that most of us are really disconnected from the moment because we're disconnected from the bodies we live in our heads, in our thoughts, and we've actually mistaken reality for a whole series of um, uh, processes of, of thoughts as they arise and pass, um, but, we, but that's where we live. And so the mindfulness practice is actually training people, part, a, a huge part of teaching mindfulness is really training people to um, connect in to the moment through um, their felt sense connecting in with the body, and people struggle with that. Uh, and so it's interesting because um, I think it's quite difficult to really understand moment-by-moment awareness um, and presence unless you approach it through the body. And so the practice of mindfulness starts with, as you uh, probably are, you know, the breath, mindfulness of breathing, and but it's not the mindfulness, it's not the awareness of the idea of the breath. Um, it's actually the awareness of the sensations of the breath in, in one location of the body. So we're actually paying attention to sensations as they're changing as we breathe, and that becomes the initial focus. Um, we also then, um, through that training, we start to open up to sensations, uh, the rest of the sensations in the body, just noticing as sensations come and go, um, and then we can move into sounds. And so, uh, again, it's not the, um, the conceptual understanding of what a sound is. It's actually just the experience of hearing moment by moment that we're training in. And then eventually we're able to start to, and this is more difficult for people, but we're eventually able to start to uh, become aware of thoughts and emotions as a process rather than uh, um, grabbing on to the content of thought, which is where a lot of um, our experience tends to live. We tend to believe um, through our minds. Uh, we tend to um, think that we are experiencing through our minds and we're really not. 
So a lot of the cultivation of that moment-by-moment awareness is learning to become present, cultivating the ability to uh, create that awareness through um, direct experience. And the direct experience is seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, um, smelling, and then also we include in this thinking, but we are actually looking at thinking in a different way uh, than usual. So I don't know if that's uh, if that makes sense to you. Oh, it makes ter- uh, tremendous sense, and certainly I hope so for our listeners. As you were as you were talking, I was um, visualizing. Um, a uh, which was clearly a head function, but I'm thinking folks who are immersed in the moment of sensation in the middle of a traffic jam, let's mm-hmm. say, yes. where there's high stimulation and stress and perhaps yes. lots of noise and um, immersing in that um, and being able to then practice mindfulness um, it, it, What might be step two in that process? Um, So, actually, I'd I'd want to kind of step back into step one. (laughs) Um, Okay, great. uh, Because I I love that you brought up the the traffic um, analogy. Um, Well, it's not really an analogy. It's actually an example. Um, This is actually one that uh, we use in... um, actually in the orientation to the, um, the eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction program because it's one of the easiest ways to, um, to see how does this help us with, a, with stress, you know. Um, and we think about this, uh, you know, everybody's ha- most people have experienced that where they're in traffic jam and they go into a full-blown stress response and they don't actually realize it because they're, they're just thinking, I don't want to be here, I need to get somewhere else, I'm late, Um, you know, this is terrible. And then um, we talk about how if you've cultivated um, mindfulness to some degree, you can actually kind of notice at some point, oh, look at what I'm doing, okay. And um, Well, in this moment, I think um, we have to take a brief break, but that would be a perfect beginning for our second segment. So hopefully our listeners will um, stay tuned for looking at some of the solutions to this. Great. Okay, thanks a lot. Listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence based practices, consensus practices, and old fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. It's time to experience radical well-being. Learn to nourish your heart, body, and mind. Manifest your power in the present and learn to live your life's infinite potential. 
It's time to experience Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio with host Rochelle McLaughlin. Each week, you'll learn about essential skills and knowledge to help you discover and create your own experience of health and well-being and learn to be empowered to take bold and loving action toward manifesting the life you long for. Tune in every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific and 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America's Health and Wellness Channel. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of Return to Peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Well, welcome back, everyone. This is Irene Fiore sitting in for Mary Woods. And today I am having a conversation with Genevieve Traeger, who is a um, wonderful expert in the practice of mindfulness and mindfulness-based stress reduction. Um, She uh, is the owner of Solution Mindfulness and also a founder and facilitating teacher of insight meditation at Scottsdale. So um, thank you for uh, joining us today, Genevieve. Just prior to the break, you were um, uh, helping us appreciate the process of becoming oriented to the use of these techniques and kind of day-by-day circumstances. Um, So I wonder if you could um, pick that uh, up and, and guide us further in that area. Absolutely, yeah. So I was um, describing um, how we, how mindful awareness can actually help us in day-to-day life, how once we begin to cultivate this, uh, what that can look like. How does that, how does that translate into, um, you know, dealing with stress better? And so what I was talking about is we're stuck in a traffic jam and, um, you know, we're, we're worrying about getting somewhere or we're uh, upset about being stuck. And we, we don't realize it, and our hands are gripping very tightly on the steering wheel. Um, and we're, we're, we have all of these thoughts going through our head, and we're, we're creating a, uh, an, you know, a big emotion that's kind of feeding on itself. Um, and we, we tend to not be aware that we're doing that um, so much. Uh, we just get caught in it. But if there's a little bit of mindfulness practice, if there's a little bit of cultivation of mindfulness, at some point we're going to kind of say, oh my God, what am I doing? I'm gripping the, you know, I'm putting myself into a stress response. Because what happens is you're gripping the steering wheel, your heart rate is going up, your blood pressure is going up, your respiration rate is going up, right? And you have create, you've, you've triggered a whole stress response. When you become aware and you go, oh my God, I'm, I'm gripping the steering wheel and uh, look what's happening. And so just in that moment that we realize 
we can actually relax the grip. We can take a conscious breath. Um, and we can, we can actually um, change, uh, actively engage in um, changing uh, into a response uh, rather than into a reaction. And that changes the chemistry in our, in our body. The, you know, we, by the time we arrive wherever we're going, uh, even if we're late, once we've become aware that, you know, hey, we're just sitting in the car. You know, we're perfectly safe. We've probably got a radio um, and air conditioning or heater, um, and everything's fine. And if we can kind of recognize that and change our relationship with the moment, um, that's incredibly helpful. Uh, there's, a, there's a quote um, that probably every single mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher has on their website. Uh, and it's uh, Victor Frankl, who was a renowned psychiatrist. He was also a Holocaust survivor. And um, he has a quote, uh, between the stimulus and response, there's a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. Now, most of us are really caught up in just the reactivity of the mind or the reactivity of uh, wanting some, you know, something's unpleasant and we move immediately to fix it, um, you know, in a very unconscious way. And what we're actually training ourselves to do is to become aware of all of that as it's going on. And so instead of unconsciously reacting to experience, we get to start to decide how to better respond. So that would be one, that would be kind of a good introduction into um, you know, how does, what are the benefits? How does this, how does this help us? Absolutely. I don't know if you had anything, I don't know if you had anything um, that you wanted to ask in, in that direction or if you want me to. Oh, that was a- absolutely. Because I think part of, part of um, uh, any of the, perhaps the public perception is that, that mindfulness is something you go do as opposed right. to an approach to living and that it's a process, not an event. Um, and just as you're describing, when you release the grip on the steering wheel, something is already happening within your brain and you're aware of a sensation. So... Um, I can only begin to imagine some of the benefits, and you're far more familiar with the research around the benefits of this, so please um, guide us there. Well, you know, I, I, I want to I touch on the research, but, you know, I'm not a researcher, and there's actually thousands of, of research studies now in, across a lot of different areas, both um, physical health, emotional health, um, focus and uh, attention, and it's really across a lot of areas. So it's it's impossible, really, unless you're really going to sort of um, grind down into some very specific area. But in general, um, some of the research-supported benefits include uh, things like resilience and stress hardiness, um, sense of coherence and emotional balance, um, positive emotion. Um, it affects immune function and quality of life factors, uh, communication, um, 
and a sense of personalized control, and then also um, really useful in dealing with depression, anxiety, and grief, um, inflammation in the body, pain. There's a lot of research in uh, chronic pain, um, and uh, it, you can really go on and on. One of the ones that I um, brought up, you know, I actually uh, brought with me um, just to kind of go over briefly since this is um, going out to the recovery communities. Um, so there's actually two areas, especially um, when we're talking to people who provide um, support uh, to others um, or people that work in the healthcare community. There's a significant amount of research that shows how helpful it is um, in um, developing self-compassion, reducing burnout, and I've actually had uh, physicians and therapists in my programs that have had dramatic effects um, where they were just getting so tired of dealing with, you know, it's difficult to deal with people um, with, you know, that are in crisis a lot and uh, really help turn their ability to work with individuals around. Um, and then as far as um, for the recovery community, um, people dealing with that, there's... Um, there's some research now showing um, its effectiveness in including mindfulness in um, and relapse prevention. And so there's a research study uh, fairly recently by um, somebody uh, by the name of Bowen, um, and they looked at um, three different groups. Um, they looked at a group, let's see, where did I put that? Um, they looked, at, they looked at three different groups in a relapse um, prevention program. They had a standard 12-step program. They had a cognitive behavioral-based relapse prevention program. And then they had one combining the relapse prevention with mindfulness. And they found um, that initially they were all uh, fairly effective. And then over the course, they, they looked at uh, six months and a year and um, at the one-year point, the, the mindfulness-based relapse prevention therapy outperformed the other two. Nine um, percent of the participants in the uh, mindfulness group reported drug use after a year compared to 14 percent in the 12-step and 17 percent in the traditional relapse prevention. And only eight um, percent of the participants in the mindfulness group reported heavy drinking after a year compared to about 20 percent in the other two therapy groups. So it can be extremely effective in working in the uh, recovery um, population. Um, and specifically, um, the effects in learning mindfulness that are particularly helpful is learning to stay present with things like cravings or unpleasant sensations mm-hmm. um, and um, thoughts or emotions that are triggering or upsetting. So instead of going into an automatic avoidance and reactivity, there's an awareness. And, um, and then, you know, we can make better decisions. People can make better decisions when, and and that's across the board. That's not just in um, people that are dealing with drug addiction or alcohol addiction. Um, It's, it's true for all of us. I mean, most of us are, are dealing with things like um, cell phone addiction we don't realize how addicted we are to our phones uh, and how that ends up driving um, our day-to-day life. Um, oh. the, other, the other thing is, is that um, we become 
familiar with more subtle thought patterns. Uh, and so we're, we're able to identify risky behaviors and potential relapse triggers before they reach crisis levels. So as we start to do this practice, one of the, one of the results is that we start to understand and recognize subtle patterns um, of behavior that we uh, weren't really aware of. Those are the ones that we tend to say, oh, why, do I, why am I doing this again? How come I can't ever stop doing this? With the mindfulness practice, we start to be able to uh, recognize things at a little bit more subtle level, and that's until we can actually see what's happening, we can't actually do anything about it. So those are some of the ways in which mindfulness can specifically be useful to um, the people that are uh, likely listening um, to this to this broadcast. Wonderful. Well, and um, at this moment, we're going to take a very brief break. And um, to our listeners, we'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you understand what really needs to be done for your health? Or like many, are you mostly letting what you hear and see in today's media dictate your healthy lifestyle? It's time to get focused. There is a reason why cancer, heart disease, chronic fatigue, hypothyroidism, and other illnesses are running rampant in our world. Ganino Wellness Radio with Dr. John and Linda Ganino will show you that there are easy, preventative, everyday steps to get you back on track. Listen live every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. 
welcome back, everyone. This is Eileen Fiore um, sitting in for Mary Woods. And today we're having a conversation around mindfulness practice and mindfulness-based stress reduction with Genevieve Traeger, who is an expert in this arena, um, and also the owner of Solution Mindfulness and founder, facilitating teacher at Insight Meditation in Scottsdale. So um, just prior to the break, um, Genevieve, you were... um, providing us with a very nice framework in really trying to understand how our senses and our thoughts kind of come together to create moments of true mindfulness in recovery and relapse prevention. Um, And one of the things that I I think gets tossed around a lot and people just sort of use um, words... uh, they kind of refer to the brain in its um, function around this. And one of the terms that's often used is neuroplasticity. So is, is there um, uh, an, a way of helping us understand that process within the practice of mindfulness? Um, absolutely, yeah. So, so neuroplasticity... Um, is um, basically the mind's ability to reorganize itself um, by forming new neural connections. And uh, for a very long time, until fairly recently, um, it was thought that, um, you know, that the, the brain remained plastic, you know, to a certain point in childhood. And then um, whatever it was that was developed by that point was kind of set And that uh, while you might be able to sort of, you know, if you had a set point for um, happiness or or sadness, um, you know, some external experiences could change it temporarily, but you would would tend to go back to that set point. Um, But what, uh, you know, the neuroplasticity has become a very big topic in recent years because the research is actually showing that that's not true, that the mind... Um, the brain remains plastic throughout the lifetime, and so we can influence um, those things. Um, particularly in looking at uh, mindfulness practice, um, there's a couple of researchers that had defined um, some different ways of uh, understanding um, um, how people respond to stress. So one of them is uh, was a doctor, uh, Kobasa. Um, and she uh, looked at personality characteristics that predispose for st- what she called stress hardiness. And what she found, uh, so these were people that were healthier in spite of um, having high-stress jobs, for instance. And so when she looked at these individuals, she found that they had three characteristics in common. So they had the characteristics of control, commitment, and challenge. So the strong belief they can exert an influence on their surroundings versus um, helplessness, that they have a commitment, they tend to feel fully engaged in what they're doing, um, and that they see um, change in life as a challenge um, that's something that affords a chance for for further development uh, rather than seeing change as a threat. So those are the characteristics. And so when um, she was looking at that, uh, she she found that that was kind of something that didn't change very much over time. And 
Um, and then uh, there was another uh, Dr. Antonovsky who studied people who survived sh- extreme stress, so people that had survived Nazi concentration camps, for, for example, and, um, and that they were able to, um, to maintain an inherent sense of coherence, is what he uh, termed it. So they were able to restore balance in response to disruption, even when their resources uh, were constantly being uh, pulled away. So those three things were comprehensibility, manageability, and meaningfulness. Um, And these things actually, um, so both of these researchers uh, felt that these were um, traits rather than states. They they weren't something that would really change over the course of a person's life. They actually did over time test people on these particular areas before and after taking part in the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program. That's an eight-week program. And these actually found that their trait levels increased for both of those. So um, mindfulness is actually a way of um, changing our relationship with experience in a significant way that actually also changes the brain and the uh, chemistry of the brain. Um, and I'm kind of, uh, there was a direction I was going to go with that, and I just sort of blanked out on it. But um, uh, you had also asked me a question about a sense of uh, self-trust, I believe. Right. And in relation to that, if we look at some of those characteristics, a sense of personal control, and we look at what, how mindfulness actually works, when we can actually see what's happening in our experience and not react to it, but rather respond to it, this builds a, a kind of sense of, um, of personal life control. Um, we can actually recognize the strengths, the inherent strengths in ourselves to deal with experience, um, external experience, um, and hold some sense of balance in relation to it. Uh, and then also, of course, um, with regard to a sense of, of meaning that, you know, our external circumstance don't create the me- doesn't create the meaning for us. So is that, I, I think that's the, what you were um, wanting to discuss. Was there some other aspect of that that you'd like to? Well, um, you know, um, Genevieve, just one thing that just popped into my mind is um, how much particularly in working with brain disease and um, brain disorders, mental illness and substance use disorders, how external the interventions are. Um, And all of what you're sharing is really a very different approach to changing the way a brain functions, unlike Western medicine's sort of reliance on medication and external um, help and support, therapy, etc. Um, I wonder, have you experienced barriers in um, being able to um, gain the support of traditionally trained practitioners? Uh, you mean in the mental health area in mental health or physical health because as you say it's very useful in pain reduction and pain management yes. 
Well, I think that, that you know, there's, we're still kind of in holdover from, you know, none of us really think that, that the mind and the body aren't connected anymore. But it's actually not been until fairly recently that this has been so widely accepted. And there's kind of a holdover in, in how, especially in more in the physical health area, um, where we, we kind of think that these are sort of the lesser tools. Um, in reality, um, you know, these are some of the most powerful tools. One of the, actually one of the biggest problems, though, is the kind of passive way that we, that we look at our health care in general. Um, we want somebody to come in and fix it. And we, want, and we also want it to happen immediately. Um, and if you approach mindfulness in that way, you're not going to get very far. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, in the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program, and that program is the program that was introduced um, by John Kabat-Zinn in 1979. He created this program to... Um, to um, introduce this practice in a secular context, in a healthcare context. Um, and um, the, the orientation um, is offered uh, as a free program so people can see if they really want to get involved. But part of that is actually to explain to people, you know, of course, what, what the practice is and what it does. And, um, but it's also to make it really clear that this is... This is not, um, you know, a drop-in kind of a program. This is something that you're making commitment to, and people are making a commitment, at least for the course of the eight weeks, that they're going to, um, they're given um, recorded guided meditations to work with, and that they're going to engage with that uh, on a daily basis throughout the course, and that there's a, that there's a commitment and a, and a willingness to prioritize um, and that's something that's actually difficult to get people on board with. Um, you know, we want to kind of watch the TV programs that we want to watch, and it's very easy to have other priorities take over, uh, and it's one of the most challenging aspects of, um, of learning and of, and of teaching uh, is getting that level of engagement. The, the MBSR program is actually great for that because you have... Um, this element of group support that's included and encouragement and there's that sort of expectation that kind of holds us accountable uh, to the participation. And once people have started to engage in that and do that, even for just a few weeks, and they start to really see the results and how this affects their lives, then people really start to get it. And that's the hard thing. It's almost impossible to really explain and describe what this practice even is um, and understand what the benefit really is until you've done it. Um, and so that I think is probably the biggest barrier uh, that, and the sort of attitudes that we have about what's involved in, you know, taking care of ourselves. We, we, we do tend to want something um, outside of us to take care of that and to change things for us. Um, very much so, and sort of reinforces the event mentality as opposed to the process mentality. Right. Um, and really challenges um, sort of our own cultural approach yeah. to lifestyle, to health, to diet, 
to um, recreation, to life balance, all of those um, areas um, kind of incorporate into um, the mindfulness approach as a kind of holistic experience. Absolutely. So why don't we take a a very brief break, and when we come back, uh, maybe we can take a look at um, how people find their own inner wisdom as a result of mindfulness technique. So we'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. If you have been experiencing addiction issues, be it drugs, alcohol, or something else, you know what it means to feel alone in the world. The power to create yourself with host Ross Ramin is here to prove that you don't have to feel this way. There are others who have been there or are still there. And together, we can sort out the truths and the lies in order to reveal the true essence of your character. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you know about Reiki? This method of healing can complement Western medicine as well as other alternative practices. Besides healing, it can have the additional effect of making you feel more positive about yourself and the world around you. By tuning into For the Love of Reiki with host Paula Vale, you'll find how Reiki can improve your health, bring balance into your life, and fill you with joy. For the Love of Reiki is broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Well, welcome back to our listeners. Um, Thank you for joining us and uh, being a part of our conversation today. Um, This is Eileen Fiore sitting in for Mary Woods. um, And we have been diving into 
a um, an entire concept and um, actually lifestyle, um, utilizing mindfulness practice and mindfulness-based stress reduction program. Our guest today is Genevieve Traeger, and she is the owner um, of Solution Mindfulness and founder and facilitating teacher in, of Insight Meditations in Scottsdale. So welcome back. Um, Genevieve, one of the... Um, one of the experiences that we've kind of talked about here is that contrast between kind of, um, I guess, to some way traditional medicine, traditional interventions, traditional therapies, and um, the um, practice of mindfulness and reaping the benefits of a process rather than an event. Um, so within this, um, there are references that are made to developing one's inner wisdom, and uh, that can uh, no doubt encompass a number of um, areas. I wonder if you could walk us through the whole concept of developing inner wisdom. So, so really, the the understanding of of developing an inner wisdom is really. Um, Well, let's see, there's so many different ways that, that that could be addressed. But in, in terms of mindfulness practice, um, when we stop believing that, um, that our thoughts are the, are the truth um, and we can become more aware of what's actually happening in our direct experience, it gives us a lot more flexibility of the mind. Um, we're all familiar with the experience of hearing a sound uh, that we think is one thing, and maybe it's really annoying to us. And then we realize it's something else entirely, and then it changes our whole experience of it. And so all of our experiences like that, we're, we're always um, sort of, we're living in this, uh, this world that we've created of thoughts and concepts, which are, you know, of course, extremely um, useful. We need them. Um, but when we don't actually recognize them as thoughts and concepts, um, we lose the flexibility to be able to um, to be a little bit more self-determining about uh, how we respond to things. So when we start to see things more clearly in that way, when we are able to drop in more directly into our experience, um, that's where our inner wisdom, you know, if you want to call it that, an inner wisdom uh, can develop because we're not so much at the mercy of external experience or um, what other people think or even cultural um, beliefs or values that, um, you know, that are sort of driving us. Um, we actually get to um, see, see those for what they are and then make a decision. Uh, and so that's how I would see the, uh, that's how I would see uh, the developing of, of inner wisdom. Is that sort of that self-trust when we can actually start to recognize uh, and trust our own experience instead of relying on interpretations? And it must then change the relationship between any provider and a person who is actively practicing mindfulness um, into a more collaborative role yes. rather than 
um, I seek your truth and will trust you and perhaps your medicine um, rather than something about myself that I know but I've lost faith in um, and lost confidence in. So would it be fair to categorize part of mindfulness um, experience does help us develop a confidence in trusting ourselves and speaking up differently with absolutely. our providers? Yes, absolutely. And and definitely um, I've heard a lot of great things from um, therapists that have referred people into my program that they're engaging in their process in a very different way. And that's the key is that they're actually engaging it and they feel that they have some ability to influence uh, their ex- their own experience, and it definitely it changes our relationships with other people in a more uh, proactive and positive way. So so definitely, wonderful. So um, one of the um, I guess one of the things that uh, perhaps our listeners are you know thinking about here is how do I how do I determine what uh, what mindfulness approach, there's a lot of talk and offering it publicly, but how do I know what is really evidence-based and what works? So um, I appreciate the question. This is a really good, uh, important question uh, because there, there is a lot of, uh, there is a lot of um, programs and, and um, people, practic- uh, practitioners, Therapists who are um, offering mindfulness, and I think the important thing is so. So, one the gold standard is actually the mindfulness-based stress reduction program. That's the original program that was created. It's where everything that we hear about now around mindfulness sort of erupted from, evolved from. Um, so, anyone who is the the training um, and uh, is offering that specific program is a good bet. Um, uh, aside from that, I would always ask the person teaching what their own practice is. If they are teaching out of a technique or out of a weekend seminar, probably you're not going to get the fullness. I mean, I'm sure it would be something beneficial, but not likely really a mindfulness practice. Um, so I would look to see what the experience does the person teaching it have a, a daily practice of their own. Um, I would... I would really even um, try and find someone who's done a little bit of retreat time, uh, at least a couple of residential uh, retreats of a week long, um, because that gives them the depth and understanding of the practice that can then be related. Uh, and it, it really is a very, very, uh, it's a simple practice. It's not easy, and it's, um, it's very subtle, and there's a lot of complexities to teaching it. And so it's really, I would recommend that people really look at their instructor and ask them questions and see if they have the, the background and the, um, and that, you know, that this is really a, a way of living for, for them. So, Genevieve, this is your life's work. What drew yes. you into the, um, the whole experience of mindfulness and then created the passion to bring the technique and the lifestyle approach to others. Well, you're asking me that with about two minutes, right? So, uh, 
So, you know, I, I grew up with a chronic illness and um, uh, faced a lot of challenges in my life. And so at some point, this was uh, something that, um, uh, that I encountered that was extremely powerful uh, in working with that. And most people tend to come to this practice through difficulty, through challenge. Mm. Um, they're looking for something different. Um, and this is really, really when this uh, practice is pursued um, in a meaningful way, is absolutely a transformational practice. And, um, you know, in a two-minute, <laughs> with two minutes, I think that's probably the the best I can, the best. can offer. <laughs> well, and, and clearly your passion and your knowledge um, is uh, coming forth and that we probably only scraped scratch the surface of all of what you know of this experience. Thank you so much for joining us today, Genevieve. I'm sure our listeners are leaving with a better understanding and hopefully um, perhaps a little incentive to utilize their entire body and senses on a day-by-day basis. Thank you very much. Great. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.